<laughs> so, okay, if you want to have a better intro, which you would love, you can look up if you can sponsor us because we don't have sponsors yet. So, Vanessa, do your real intro. <laughs> hey, everybody. I could not be more excited about the episode of Expect Exception today. So I will try to get through this introduction without stumbling over my own words. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, how to test these uh, modern and nowadays single file components we are having in the front end in various frameworks, in React, in Angular, in Vue, in pure JavaScript, TypeScript. In the last episode, we talked about the end-to-end -end testing framework Cypress. And next to Playwright, it is one of my favorite end-to-end -end testing tools. But for me personally... Testing components or unit testing is the first thing I think of when I think of testing. It's maybe also the most time I spend on writing texts are unit tests. I, I know exactly so much about unit testing that I'm also pretty sure that I only know 10% about it. So I'm very lucky today to have two very strong developers and testing experts with me today on the show. And first, I want to introduce you to Miriam, who is a front-end developer with a special love for JavaScript software testing and unit testing. Hello, Miriam. Hello. <laughs> and she can also do really good dub, 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 dub intros. Thanks. <laughs> And uh, then we have Roman Kuba, who works as a software engineer manager at GitLab, who also loves to talk about testing and good architecture. Hi, Roman. Hello there. Happy to be here. So, Roman, may I ask you, what is single-file component testing? What are we exactly talking about here? That is an excellent question, because I'm also, I wasn't sure when we started this episode. <laughs> But uh, the question is, like, if we want to focus on, like, Yeah, right, single file components or components in its kind of like own individual state. Uh, then we talk about how to actually break down the whole of an application and look at the small pieces and make sure that those small pieces that you put together later are tested properly. There's also like some things about component testing to basically treat it as kind of like your unit testing of kind of the bigger picture of the application. Um, but yeah. I think from which angle ever you kind of like tackle it, it's always good that you say, okay, like you treat your component as things that definitely needs to be tested by default usually and not overgone and say, no, I just do end-to-end -end testing, for example. What do you think, Miriam? There are also no component testing as a um, as another description or another word for unit tests. And so I was very excited. So are we talking about unit tests? Will I talk for two hours? Um, but we are talking about, yes, component tests for a few components, which kind of are like unit tests if you see the component as part of a bit of structure. I think we will focus on this part. Yeah, so so I also thought about components in maybe units, but maybe integrations. And this is why I didn't want to call this episode like only unit testing, because I think one of the main problem in the beginning is already what is a unit and what is a component and is, for example, if I have a parent component and a child component or a UI component, which I mount or shell amount, is that a unit test or an integration test? And I think this is already where it starts to get complicated. Yep, it is. But I really hope we will have an episode on unit tests at some point because I can talk about unit tests for ages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's totally right, especially with like the frameworks we're using, like Vue and uh, like React, It's really hard to 
to make a difference between what is a component, what, what is a real unit test. Is Shadow mounting is not really unit testing because you use fake-outs, kind of. That's a discussion that is interesting, but I think it's not always so helpful because in the end, it's about writing tests. I think that's a good summary. It's about writing tests, and I think <laughs> taking the right approach yeah. and testing these kind of things is incredibly <laughs> important. Um, so I'm personally like curious from this point or so, when you kind of focus on testing and building the components, like is it like testing already at the tip of your head when you're writing it together that you say, okay, how is this component going to be easy to test? Or is it more something to say, yeah. hey, I'm going to figure it out eventually and I have to refactor a lot of parts of the component eventually? So I always have tests in mind and I I try if I write a small component or a component, I don't have too much UI elements. I try to write component test-driven. That does not all, always work because especially UI is kind of hard test-driven, but I try. And I all always write tests while writing components. Um, so testing is always on my mind. It's Yeah, that's the story of my life. Testing is always on my mind. But yeah, writing components, um, I have tests in, in mind. And I think testability is a, is a quality measure of, of a good component. And writing tests afterward, we all know that's a really, a real, a real pain, right? <laughs> Do you mean afterwards, like uh, five minutes afterwards, or like three months or one year afterwards? Mm, more like when the component is finished. So with a small component, I think that that can work. But if you have a bigger component, a component that has like um, more more logic in it and and does more stuff with state or even have is connected to the store um then it it's harder to add a test for some components not, not for every component i think but especially if it's like yeah this component goes alive goes to production because it was urgent and then two months later i'm like ah let's add tests and yeah that's that's when it gets really hard or if you refactor a component that is two years old with no tests then it's also really hard to write tests Yeah, I guess this is the one big reason for me why everybody should always write tests because you really don't want to refactor anything that is older than six months and has not a single test in it. I did it a lot of times and I'm always confident going to work and I'm like, yeah, I can read the code. It's, for example, it's in Vue.js, so I know what's going on there. But if there's no test, I'm feeling so insecure after just like two seconds. Um, so this is my my main point for why one why we should test at all. But this is very interesting what you're saying. Um, I'm not the test-driven um, developer. I do it sometimes, but only if I really have a clear picture of what I'm trying to achieve. So if I'm really know, okay, I want to have a link and I want to um, click on the link and then something happens and so on. But a lot of the times I don't have that clear picture in the beginning. So I start to write some code and I'm writing very, very small components. I don't have, so maybe I talk about something else when I say I, I test at the end, but it's not like the end of two weeks. It's the end of uh, half a day of application code writing. Then I start at this end of the moment I start to write some tests. And for me, one part, one feature of a whole epic or one really small, sm small portion of one feature is done when I have written the test 
And I have written the test in a way that I maybe had to rewrite some application code again. Um, so I could test it. So the application code gets better and better when I write tests for it. But if I have done my tests, I know, okay, I'm done with this part. I can continue with something else. But here's one problem I always had with te writing tests before during the um The, the application code writing. If I have one component and I write it and I write the logic and I write the template and then I decide to split it up again. So I want to have a few child components because it, uh, the whole component grew too big and I want to split it up. And then it's like, if I have already written some tests, I maybe had to rewrite them. And if I'm having now, um, several components for like just, just to split up in different files, but it's still like one component. Where is the differentiation between the different tests now? That's a super hard question and super hard to answer. Um, I, the way I approach it, I think you're doing it right by saying, okay, when you refactor your code, you eventually have to refactor the, the tests as well. And I think that's, that's totally okay. And that makes a lot of sense because like the test is also part of your production, part of the, the whole kind of flow of your uh, component itself. And if you refactor the component, it makes sense that the tests would eventually be refactored as well. Um, the, the summary to say, okay, how to kind of stack these components and to say, okay, where will which piece of test live or so? I think this is something that's so hard to answer because it's like so um, depending on the use case and the application that you're building, um, where I say you really have to make kind of like smart decisions based on what is the logical part and what are the logical seams of your components that you're putting together. If that makes sense in any way. Yes. <laughs> and and I think it's really important to what you said, Roman, about that you have to refactor tests because I think that's that's one thing that gets forgotten a lot because tests are code. And so I have to refactor tests and refactoring tests and making tests smaller and making tests smarter and also deleting tests if they're no longer needed is a really important part on, on growing my code base. And so the example you mentioned, um, Vanessa, about a component where you have written tests and now you want to split up the components and now you have to refactor your tests. Yeah, sure. Because at some point you see, oh, this code is too big or this component is too big, I will split it up. And nobody or the most people won't think, oh, no, now I have to refactor my code because we all love refactoring, I think. Same way I don't look at tests and think, oh, no, now I have to rewrite or refactor my test because it's just like the normal process. You know what I mean? So that, um, that's one thing I try to keep in mind. And the next thing is I'm totally with you when you say it's hard to write tests before code, especially with UI components or with components that handle UI. It's not always possible and it does not always make sense. And I try to write as many tests as possible while writing a feature or by, while writing components for a feature. But there are some tests I will add in the end. So like I had a feature I worked on for two or three weeks in my company and I had a lot of small components which I tested while I wrote them. Um, but in the end, it was a really big form. And I, testing forms, input, output, and stuff is, can be really annoying. So I waited with this test, with this integration test, until the end. Because I was like, okay, this test will be a lot of work. Uh, and it will be brittle. And it makes sense to write it in the end when I see, when I test it manually, that everything is working. Um, but so I split up like 
small components, I write the tests in the beginning or while I write the components. And for the bigger components, like the controller um, components or however we will call them, um, I normally write the tests in the end. So still before finishing a feature, because it's in our um, definition of done, um, is test unit test and um, component test is a point in our um, definition of done. But yeah, I don't put in the work to write tests in the beginning for a complicated component because that's too much for me at least. Yeah, that's a great input. So I know that I'm not alone with this problem and that it's just a normal process. So that thank you too. That that really helped me for future decisions. Uh, Roman, what would you say, what could be steps you could take to make a component easier to test during the implementation or after or before or whenever? Um, so a thing that I try to live by, kind of how to how I build my components, how I write tests to them, is like two, two simple rules. Like if I build a component, um, you want to keep it like as dumb as possible, but only as smart as necessary. And if you build them this way or so, it helps very much like to um, keep a component like really, really focused to what they're supposed to do. What I've seen very often happen is it does you say, okay, you start to build something and then you need a piece of logic, uh, any kind of like function and you throw it into the component because it's like helpful in this case. Um, and then you have another piece and you just throw it into the component because you need a string interpolation or anything, this kind of stuff. And you start to kind of put a lot of things into your component which eventually ends up saying, okay, I need to write a ton of tests for different methods. Even if they're kind of basically not the core essence of what the component actually tries to do because it just tries to render maybe some things or give you a short way of interacting with something. So this helps in me trying to say, okay, if there's like anything like really logic heavy, I try to pull it out into its like own uh, class library or whatever in a util function file as soon as possible so that I know I can really, really focus on the component and to make sure I follow through is what the component is supposed to do from the user perspective. I'm so happy to hear stuff like this because I'm in front-end development since three years only and I'm like from a total different job. So I'm self-learned and this is exactly the approach I tend to do. I try to put everything in helper functions or in methods just to test them, writing unit tests for this and don't have any logic in components. And I try to have really dumb components or components that doesn't do a lot. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that other people are making the same thing. So I'm not like totally wrong with this approach. That's cool. <laughs> no, you're absolutely not. I guess I only have code in a component that is like a static thing or static function. If you're coming maybe more from an object-oriented programming language, that is already the case that you have static functions. So if I really need to have access to this, I write this one in my component and everything else that doesn't need um, um, access to this or to global or whatever, I just write in another util file. Not because I'm 100% sure that it gets reused in the um, in the future, but just for my head to structure my project, to structure my, my test, and just to, just to keep also my component short and really have the end logic in that component and not like calculations. Yeah, and, and it yeah. definitely makes like the refactoring easier later because you don't have to account for all the 
the code that you eventually maybe want to move down to other component if you want to split it up. And I think perfect approach, Vanessa. Yes, that's that's true. That's really good. Yeah, the other the other approach would sound like a lot of copy and paste errors if everything would be written in that big component and you try to outsource it and then it gets nasty. Yeah, that's true. And also the testing component, I, I at least think testing a component, like a few component, for example, or a React component, I think it's always harder than testing pure JavaScript, uh, pure TypeScript, because you have all the setup and you have to mount the component or shallow mount the component. Maybe you have to take care of fake outs. You have to sub stuff. You have to put in the store. Um, and having helper functions, you can just test them. You can write unit tests for them. You can write some test written if you want to, like I do every time. And then you know, okay, this function does what it's supposed to be. And the only thing you have to make sure probably is that the component is using the function or that the component, if you give or if the user does um, a special input, uh, if you have a special input like properties, that the component has the output you expected. So that's the thing you have to take care in the component test, but everything else can live in like the unit tests. And I think that's that's really good. I think that's a super good point you make there, Miriam. Um, because like the way what you've kind of focused on testing while doing so, I think if you if you see yourself ending up testing a lot of like internal logic and functionality of a component, that's a good indicator that you kind of like lost track of what it's supposed to do. And that very often is like, you need like the templates and the click. And that's why it's like expensive to set up because like there's a lot of value that you try to create for the user. So always, if you end up testing a lot of user functionality and what happens if I click this and does it kind of change values accordingly what I need to do actually, I think that's always a good indicator you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I love that we are just like have one opinion. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah, quite opinion. But it's, I think that's good because it shows that it's a good approach, right? Because we are working in three different fields and three different companies and still we, we we do the same approach to this kind of testing and i think that's a good indicator that this is a good approach i don't say it's a perfect approach or the best because i don't think there's one best thing but i think that we have like a similar approach is a good thing yeah yeah and it's good to have <laughs> finally best practices and in, in the front end ecosystem for testing so we can be sure just what we are doing and focus on writing the test and not on focus on deciding where and how and what and why. Roman, I know that you have some amazing testing videos on youth school. I know that because <laughs> I watched them. Oh, and you. I remember that you also showed some testing with the properties and with events. So parent child communication. And this is where I always have still, um, problems to make decisions if I really should to test, for example, if my child component receives a property label and in the test, I test if the label, if I'm creating and mounting the component, if the label is set, because it feels kind of I'm testing the framework and not my code. So I sometimes I tend to test Instead, if I, for example, can find that label in the template of the child component, but this gets also a bit more complicated 
Of course, I have to really know how to write the test then. Also don't know if it's, if it's too much that I'm test or should I, I'm, I'm just not sure what to do there. Um, uh, that's a super good question. And probably one of the thing that I struggled or uh, still struggle every now and then with, right? Um, and I think you, you just mentioned like, what is the good indicator of when you say you're on the wrong or on the right track? And that's like, if you feel like you're basically just testing the library, then that's a good thing to say, okay, maybe you should not focus on this part of the testing. Cause like, if you pass in a property and see, does it get rendered or is it set crop, um, in the component itself? Is it available? Then yes, you're basically 100% test the functionality of like view or react and what these libraries have like probably a bazillion tests for written already. Um, but I think kind of tackling from this approach to say, okay, like let's say I pass in some kind of value um, as the property and then I test like what is actually supposed to happen with it in this case by saying it's somewhere rendered in the UI and I more tested from a sanity check standpoint that everything else in the UI, in the UI feels correctly. Does a does the label? It has the class. It has everything in there. And does the next string I maybe like compute it together? So next to the label where I use it, then you get a lot of value out of the test because you can make sure that that's actually the end value that's coming up to the to your user's UI. Um, one thing I ended up being a huge advocate for. And I know I have regular discussions with people about it is uh, snapshot testing in this case, because it can be like super, super valuable for these kind of things where say you don't want to test the internals of like the library, but you want to make sure that the rendered output in general feels quite good or is right or has the right classes, this kind of stuff. Um, that's an easy way of like how to hide a lot of the, um, or kind of get get some value out of this like unnecessary testing what it feels like with the properties, but you create yourself a very good safety net in saying, Hey, I actually can make sure that the component looks as it's supposed to look. Yeah. That's a great point. I think we have to do a, a whole episode about snapshot testing because in the beginning, when I first met snapshot testing, I was like, Every component, you have a snapshot test and you can have a snapshot test and here's another snapshot test. And that was cool until we started to fail. And, so, and so there true. Was, I totally I did everything. I snapshotted everything and then yeah. they started to fail and it was really messy. And so currently um, in my current company, we don't use snapshot testing really often. Um, but we think about, okay, when should and when could we use snapshot testing when it is benefit when it will be beneficial for us and that's something we don't know yet um but we are currently on our way to start to um implement a more strict testing approach so um with, with a bit more rules than we uh, did until now and i think that we will add snapshot tests somewhere at the in the end of this process or oh, i hope we will look into it because i think like uh, roman said they are a great way to make sure that input output is working like expected and just don't care about what happens internally because i don't want to care about what uh, few does i just want to have like my input and my output basically 
I saw so, so, so many funny things with snapshot testing. And it is a, for me, it's still a new technique. And I already saw much more problems with it than, 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 um, uh, than advantages. For example, I, I saw the complete opposites of the both worst world so like oh the snapshot test failed yeah yeah i update them because it always fails i just update it and push it to uh to git and then it's fine <laughs> and the other side like okay we have um mounted like and i think shallow mount was not there at the time so we mounted like every component using a huge ui component library for buttons for inputs but also for um bigger ui components so complete forms up to complete uh, molecules from atomic design, so up to complete headers. This was all; these were all UI components, and so in the UI component library, it was um, a decision that some classes should be renamed from whatever Ben to not Ben. And so one person said, "No, I'm a really 100% complete person. I really have to read like 2,000 lines of a snapshot." test now until I can be sure to to uh, check it on Git. And I was like, okay, this is the right approach, I think. But how will you end up with reading 2,000 lines of snapshot testing without taking five breaks and drinking two coffees? <laughs> um, but I said mounting and shallow mounting. Mm -hmm. I really would love to have your opinion on what what is what is this and how do you use both of them? So that's another great topic probably we can talk about hours about this one and we'll probably not come to a conclusion yeah. <laughs> but um i i see like similar to um maybe not too similar to snapshot testing concept itself but um there should be a reason when you use which kind of method um Currently, even like at our company at GitLab, there's currently a lot of conversations going on reporting like, okay, should we use shell amount for all the uh, tests or should we use mount? Because like if you have a lot of tests, then shell amount by default will kind of like yield a more performant test suit because it's like just faster because you don't need to load so many things. Um, but on the other side, with, when using mount, you always get a very conclusive and whole picture of how does this component look like with its child components? Does it all play together in the way that it's expected? And this is great for writing like really valuable tests that are very um, close to what the user is experiencing. With shell amount, you often have the method of saying, okay, I can focus on this one component in isolation and I'm kind of, I'm paying the price of neglecting how it's like working with its child components itself. This can be good if you want to focus on the sole component on the top, but just be aware that you might lose some context. Because um, I've seen like tests where I say, okay, all my shell mounts pass, but there was actually a small typo when I passed on a property from the parent component to the child component. So it wasn't working in production, but all my tests passed. And that's something that, for example, mount which would catch if you write a test for the child component that is like getting the proper values set from the top parent as well. I really, it's like you put my thoughts in words <laughs> because I think it's, it's really hard. And um, I tended to be, and I still am in my, in my um, private opinion or in my uh, uh, pet project opinion, I'm a really big fan of shallow mount because shallow mount enables me to write units 
style tests. I don't think they are really unit tests because you have like a fake out and stuff, but it enables me to test one component in isolation. And in a former project I worked on and in my private stuff, I try to use a lot of shallow mount and I test um, unit style my components. And that also means I test sometimes a lot of implementation detail. Because sometimes I test stuff like, okay, is this method called? Um, is this um, event emitted and stuff like this? And this is testing implementation detail. And that can be good and that can be bad. There are different approaches. But I'm personally, because I love unit tests, I tend to write a lot of shallow mount, test stuff in isolation, and will have fewer tests um, on, a, on a more parent component where I mount and test like more integration. But we noticed that now in, in the product I'm working on, that this approach is, it's too much. It's too much implementation testing. And um, we have a lot of components and we have, I think we have seven or 8,000 tests that are growing, are growing like crazy. So um, the maintain of shallow mounting because you test implementation details, so you have to refactor more often is getting a bit harder to maintain. So currently we are trying out the approach that we write more tests with mount or with render because we started to use or we try to start to use a few testing library, mm -hmm. which I have different opinions on, but um, we try to use like more of an um, approach to write more integration-like tests. Um, and... Um, on the same side, try to split our components up, make our components small and smart and, and not smart, dumb, <laughs> and uh, put logic out and helper functions. And I think what you said, Roman, is really good because this way it, it's slower and it sometimes is a bit messy because if you have a child component that needs, I don't know, a store or things like that, you kind of have to do a lot of setup, but it also makes sure that the things are working in combination. And we are trying out an approach where we can write this kind of integration kind of test, but still have some unit tests. So it's really interesting to hear this, um, yeah, this thoughts um, about the drawbacks and the benefits of either mounting or shadow mounting. And like I said, personally, I really like shallow mount because unit tests. Um, yeah, but we are trying a different approach now. And I have no idea how it will work. <laughs> yeah, I definitely ran into that problem that Roman was talking. Uh, talking. Uh, why do I always spell your name English, Roman? <laughs> Either is fine. Yeah. I accept both. <laughs> But we do that in our company too. We speak every every German name in English in our course, and sometimes it's just so. It's yeah, like every name. David is a David now. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea how to spell Miriam in English. In English, I, I have no idea, honestly. So I think also just Miriam. Probably with the second Miriam, I. Yeah. Miriam. <laughs> right. Mary Chan. Mary Jam. Mary Jam. Absolutely. Okay, we, oh, we oh, have the oh, next yeah, name for our next uh, NPM package. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Vanessa is also Vanessa. Vanessa. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's easy. <laughs> um, but, I, but I ran into the same problem with the 
mounting or let's say that not mounting in the test um, that was a point uh, in my coding life where I thought test driven is super cool and I was uh, that was the flow I was working in and I was writing so excellent green tests and I was accepting properties in the in the component I was testing but I totally forgot because my tests were already so done and if my tests are done you uh, maybe you remember I'm done with my feature I just forgot to pass all of the properties in the production code and it went not to production it was not a big mistake it was a um, pet project too um, but I but I had a really good laugh with my so proud I'm like 100% green test and here look how how 100% test coverage and I was like <laughs> oh yeah but I forgot to <laughs> pass the properties in production code oops <laughs> Can't have errors if you don't have code, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good approach. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I think that's a... I, I think... That's, sorry. sorry. Go okay. on. No, go on, please. <laughs> no, I think that's an excellent point from Vanessa. So about like yeah. the, the code coverage and I think the same thing you mentioned with like the snapshot tests before. And I feel like I'm constantly falling back on snapshot tests. But the thing <laughs> we said, okay, like it was a burden kind of to update them or so. And the same is like if you just test everything with snapshots and this kind of things, you will get a, a false sense of security. Like if you just look at numbers and lines of code and this kind of stuff, uh, it's an easy trap to fall into and say, oh, I have a big test for this and it's covering it or so. But it's often like not really covering the, the actual use cases and how to do it or so. So it's way better to write kind of less but more valuable tests and kind of taking, kind of setting the value proposition to say, okay, does this, each and every test that I write, does it actually provide value? And does it support what the user is eventually seeing? That's like a good, good indicator for me how I try to structure my tests. And and in this or um, with this, I, I'm not sure if that another if that is another topic, but um, I think what I discovered so in the end of last year is the software tester community because. I'm a software developer that writes tests, but there's a whole another level of testing in the test, the software test and QA community. And in the team I'm working on, we have a QA team. So we have dedicated QA engineers that are taking care of um, a lot of stuff, also of our manual testing. And I think it's, it's so, it's, it's like so wild what I learned from them because I tend to think in, in a very developer-driven mm -hmm. way of tests. And QA does stuff that I don't even think about. So they test like user input that I didn't even think a user would do. Um, or they think about, um, I'm not sure, about um, a way the user uses a product with clicking links like 50 times and stuff that I also didn't think about. And I think that's so valuable to have this feedback because I learned so much about how to write valuable tests from mm -hmm. them. Or they, they can tell me a lot about, okay, uh, if I click this button 20 times, then this and that um, component crashes. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. And I can fix this and probably try to write tests that can catch this better, a regression test. But that's so good. And I didn't work with a real QA team before, so that's something that's totally new to me. And it's really good. Just wanted yeah. to add that. No, super, super good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I start doing, which kind mm -hmm. of, I also learned like from QA people and in general to say like, 
having this randomization and kind of like different kind of input data um, is like super valuable in kind of writing better tests. Because often we say, it started when I wrote a lot of CSS back then, right? You say you have your certain username and it always fits in perfectly in the box, but then somebody comes with a super long username and yeah. you see it's like floating over or breaking and this kind of thing. And it's the same with components. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I started to really, really enjoy is kind of using Faker, which allows you like mm -hmm. to generate like random strings and names and texts and whatever. And I sometimes really use Faker actually to verify that certain data inputs work or that it's rendering the right things. Um, and that helped me kind of writing even better component tests. Um, and that was like super, super valuable to kind of tackle it from this angle. I want to come to one point from the discussion back and it's about not only view, but about what Miriam said before that you have to set up the component, um, render the component. You said you had a problem with the view testing framework. Um, what did you mean with that? So not the view testing framework, but we we used uh, the few test features. So the um, kind of default framework for testing view components, which take care of mounting of components and take care of also shallow mount if I want to. And we tried out, or we are now trying out the approach for using the view testing library, which is a library which still uses few test utils to render uh, to mount components, but has a method rendering, which generates kind of more DOM structure-like output and implements other methods to like query for stuff and check stuff. And the thing is, so I personally have a problem with the approach. So the few testing library is, in my opinion, a very opinionated library, um, which is, on one hand, a good thing because it enables you to write a specific style of test. So more integration tests, but most important, and that is a big benefit for me, it enables you to write very user-centered tests because you can uh, query for, for example, accessible elements and for stuff the user sees. So it um, kind of enforces or encourages you to write accessible components and to to see and to write tests in a user-centered way. That's a good thing. But in my opinion, the bad thing is it focuses heavily on integration tests. Um, and so the maintainer or ma main maintainer of the library has this approach. He does not um, talk about the testing pyramid, which I'm a big fan of, but I think it's a testing pokal mm -hmm. or so another form. So not much unit tests, a lot of integration tests and a few end-to-end -end tests. And I still think that's not a good idea. In my opinion, it's just my personal opinion. Um, so that is a problem I had or I have with a few testing library that on the one hand, it has really beneficial stuff that encourages me to write good tests. But on the other hand, it kind of forces me to write the kind of tests I maybe don't want to write that often. Um, but we tried to make it work in a like compromise. So that was my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And to give credit that it's like can see dots, I think is the creator of testing library actually. Yeah. Um and I think it's totally fair to say it's opinionated because I think that is his opinion. And I, yeah, I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense. He wrote it out of the need to say, okay, like 
a lot of the other testing libraries, like I think in React, it's Enzyme was out there, and yeah, we have a few test details. Mm-hmm. And they all work very similarly with, say, the exposed like, ways of using like internal functions or calling things inside the component. And it sometimes yeah. loses uh, the context of saying, okay, what is actually, how is the user interacting with my component, right? They don't call an internal method. A user will always come in and click a button or kind of enter a field and so and see how it's working. And I think taking this as the foundational way of saying how you want to test your components, always kind of from the user's perspective, I think that's very, very valuable. And yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's the reason we try to implement it Mm -hmm. now at work and see how we can work with it. But like I said, it's just like a personal like mm-hmm. taste or style. And I like unit tests and I like unit um, unit like tests. And so I, I'm not so happy with this strong focus also in communication about integration tests because I think integration tests are kind of dangerous because not dangerous, but they are a bit more brittle than unit tests. They are harder to write. When they fail, it takes a bit longer to find the reason for it, I think. And so I still think the testing pyramid is a pyramid for a reason. Um, but if you extract a lot of logic and unit testable helper functions, then you will get your testing pyramid anyway. So yeah, I'm cool with that. I could potentially just shift around the elements of the pyramid and make integration integration test the foundation of the pyramid, right? You could, <laughs> <laughs> but who who would do such a thing? <laughs> Yeah. that's true <laughs> but why <laughs> yeah but i think like tackling it for really from the value perspective to say okay like if you're kind of write maybe like three four unit tests and maybe one integration test like which one provides more value and maybe i can capture all four unit tests and there's one more valuable integration test then i kind of maybe make up for the time it costs or for the time it costs to run and this kind of thing because eventually when I have to refactor something, I don't have to touch four unit tests again, but I maybe have to touch only one test. Yeah, yeah, that's one point. But also I think so what it, it, it depends <laughs> on what we define as value for, of tests because in that case that this is a regression test and just test stuff and test input output, then yes, um, I'm with you. But also I think writing unit tests enables me to write better code mm-hmm. because I think my code gets a bit cleaner and a bit more on the point and stuff. And um, yeah, and I think at that point, it's, yeah, it's kind of, hmm. everybody has to decide on their own. (laughs) So I think writing unit tests helps me while writing code a lot. And um, as a regression test, yeah, I think writing unit tests takes maybe a bit more time. I'm not sure because I'm really fast at writing unit tests, but also I don't mind rewriting or refactoring my tests. It's just my normal work load. But yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, and it's a good point because one integration test can cover a lot of units. And if that's stuff that I don't touch very often, then yeah, why why should I change that? But I really like your perspective of saying to help you to write better code. And that's something I can like attest to like 1,000%. I think if you're good at testing and if you kind of start to look at these kind of thing, it will just make you a better developer and code writer. Because if you write bad code and it's super hard to test, you get super annoyed. So 100% agree. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you if you have a hard time writing tests for your code, it's the first indicator that your code is not as good as it could absolutely, be. Absolutely, absolutely. And here we go again having the same opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, but I think there's well, a one uh, very important experience a developer has to get at some point that um, I know that it can be difficult to get into the testing, but the adventure to see, oh, I can rewrite some of my application code when I look at how I would write a test for it and to see the outcome of it that you can now proudly put into a code review. I think this is the one thing that is my, like a runner's high after running. This is my coding high. Look at my code. My code is amazing. Um, so when we talk about component testing, like um, a mixture of unit and integration, um, can there be, or have you ever experienced performance issues? I know that from end to end testing, one can say that they are hard or brittle or slow or whatever, but are there difference in, in performances in testing components? Um, I definitely, definitely. I think this will very likely break back down to like this mount versus shell amount, depending if you have like really uh, mm -hmm, big components. Mm -hmm. Uh, then performance can, um, yeah, can be a, a case or so, or can be really a big issue. Um, so that's where I also maybe want to write a test that just covers more things at once, just to kind of uh, pay the debt of performance by saying, okay, it kind of takes loader longer to load it and boot it up. So I'll try to make a lot of value out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's always something at least important to be aware of while doing this. And the good, the easiest solution yeah. is like write small components, as you all suggested. Writing small component mm -hmm. helps impeding the whole performance issue and also structure and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's And also, I want to add that, so I too um, experienced the performance issues. It's not an issue yet, but we can see that it gets, it takes more time to write tests or to, uh, to let the test run. And I think if you use mount or if you use a lot of integration tests, then it's also important to split up your tests smart. So I tend to do, and it's still up for discussion in, in, in my work, I tend to use the scoping in chest, so in, in the test runner or in the test library a lot, and probably mount or render in the case of the um, testing library. Um, I render one component and have a describe in a described block so scoped and then i test different stuff on this component um for example if i have a component and i know there are six elements that have to be there every time i render this component like a button and a link and, and stuff like this i use a scoped um or i use a scope to render one time and write six assertion for this instead of render it six times and this is just one little thing, but it adds up, I think at least. And I did a very unprofessional um, comparison where I rendered two test suites with each 400 tests. And in one, I used the render method in every it, like it suggested or recommended from the testing library. And in another component, I split it up and I had like one describe and had four its so I wrote 400 tests, but I had only 
10 random assets instead of 400. And I uh, run them um, each for five times and took like the average time. And it was, I think, 23% faster with the scoped approach, which is mm -hmm. not so much because it was only three seconds. Um, but I think it will add up. Mm -hmm. yeah, very interesting what both of you are saying. I was working for over one year at a project where we had micro front ends and I never experienced these kinds of problems. We had a whole bunch of other problems, but we never had like performance issues because our projects were just so tiny. I have one last question from my side. What are you... And I, I'm pretty sure the answer will be it depends. <laughs> it always, it always is. What what else? Or dub dub. <laughs> dub dub. What, okay, so I'm rephrasing it to what would be your first approach approach or solution for the store or for fetch requests? Mocking them or not mocking them? It depends. <laughs> I don't <laughs> <laughs> I go go ahead, Miriam. Go ahead. No, it depends. <laughs> Honestly, I mock them currently. We have started to use, in, in some of our applications, we try out to use Cypress, but more not really for end-to-enders because we have end-to-enders that are written by QA. And um, so I know that this whole communication between application and uh, front and back end and stuff is, is um, taken care of. So in our tests, Integration and unit tests normally be mock this stuff because it's taken care of, um, so I don't have to do it. But in Cypress, we, I, I kind of use at least sometimes a post or a get call to the backend, um, but normally I, I tend to mock it out. Yeah. So I, yeah. not everybody, because QA have to do it, <laughs> but I do it. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm also a big fan of like um, mocking where it makes sense and like often like fetch requests. It, it can sometimes be like super hard just or annoying to set up all the, the backend server or kind of boot something up that the original fetch is kind of properly calling and getting the data. Uh, there's one project maybe kind of that just comes to mind that we, would be good to shout out. I think it's called like mocked service workers or something like this, which runs a node and it works well with Jest where you boot up like your endpoints and can use the, I think even the original fetch to kind of catch these kind of things. But I would always like initially fetch for a mocking way just to say, okay, if fetch gets called, I explicitly say what it's going to return and I mock it because it just makes it easier and lets me focus on the test itself. Um, that works well. And the same for stores. I think unless I want to really test the whole store itself and if it's working properly in the context of the component, I would also go for a mock implementation. And I'm a big fan of using factories for this kind of thing, of having like prepared functions that mm -hmm, just return this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first approach, try to mock it, but of course it depends. Um, there's an NPM package called service worker mock. Yeah, I think that's the one. Is that I think the that's one? the one. Yeah, I will, I will link it in the show notes. Cool. And I think if you have like a good use case where say maybe a lot of like complex calls that are depending on each other and what they're returning and what they're doing, and you really want to see if they kick off themselves, each other like properly, then something like a real implementation with this service workers makes a lot of sense where say, this is my kind of fake server 
and it just returns the right things if you call this URLs. Because I think it even has like GraphQL implementation, which is super nice. So if you want to test the rich the real behavior as close as possible, um, it's super valuable. But it just costs way more time in preparing everything by taking the time of setting up the old server. Where I say there should be a good use case that's like really worth it, and you want to get just value explicitly. Yeah, so maybe that's a very good point to wrap things up before we have like uh, 10 episodes and one episodes because I think we have a lot of good material and the ideas for the future episodes. So let's come to the picks. Miriam, ladies first. Yes. Oh my God. And now we reveal the um, secret where DubDub is coming from because I asked, oh my God, how is the uh, Apple Keynote called? And it's WWDC. And uh, Vanessa said, the cool kids call it DubDub. So mm -hmm. now you know. So I think last week, the Apple Keynote was, and I don't watch this kind of stuff, but um, afterwards, I got a lot of messages from people that know me because Apple is uh, making a TV series called Foundation. And Foundation is a science fiction series from Isaac Asimov. And he's one of the, in my opinion, best science fiction writers. And they are really old, but these novels are still worth reading. And I watched the trailer, I have no idea how many times, and I was so excited. I started to read all seven books again. So yeah, my pick is the TV series Foundation, which will, which will come next year, I think. Cool. I absolutely love to watch the Apple Keynote each year. I'm really interested with the new MacBooks and their new chip, if that's compatible, how it will, how it will work, if you can use virtual machines in Docker. Uh, but another topic. <laughs> uh, Roman, what's your pick? Um, I, I pick a small little tool I started to kind of really dig into and like the last couple of weeks. Um, it's called Happy Use. I probably kind of totally butchered the pronunciation of this because I'm not a native speaker. But yeah, it's like a nice page or so that gives you like pre-matched colors um it's like a color picker right but it's like just nice combinations and the page looks super nice and i stumbled over this by kind of following actually this guy mackenzie child on twitter uh, and during the coronavirus pandemic what he did is like he released a few um kind of just kind of like draw book pages right for kids with like nice shapes or so that you can color yourself And they were super adorable and printed out for our daughter. And she had a lot of fun. And I said, oh, I, I like this style. And I looked what else he's doing. And then I stumbled over this happy use. And it's a super cool page. And I really like the, the style and the color schemes. And it's like super, it, it uses good colors. And it's always, yeah, I just like the style. Give it a look. Super cool. Yeah, I just opened the page. And everybody, you have to go to this website of the happyhues.co. This is an amazing website. Very good work. Cool. The page reminds me also of my pick because I wanted to talk about the whole topic of accessibility and I wanted to pick the game for the PlayStation 4 Last of Us because I heard that it might be the most accessible game ever. I think this is pretty amazing. This was a really good tweet. I linked the article also in the show notes. It was an amazing reaction, and I think we need more of that. That's such a coincidence because a coworker told me today or yesterday that 
he thinks it's a really, really accessible game. Mm -hmm. And so it's just the second time I heard this. It's cool. Nice. That makes me smile. <laughs> all right. So that's it for today. Thank you all for listening. I thank uh, both of you for uh, being here. And see you next time. See you. Bye. Bye. Step up. No website, no podcast. Our love podcast needs web hosting in a domain. We want to thank David Müllichen, also known as Web Dave, who sponsors our domain expectexception.vail. Thank you very much. If you also are interested in being a sponsor in our podcast, don't hesitate to contact us. Dab, dab. <laughs>